Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. As you listeners can see, we have gotten back to our roots here on this show as currently we are in the midst of previewing our top 10 Division I men's and women's college tennis teams heading into the 2023 season, of course. All you got to do is scroll down on your Great Shot Podcast feed to find our preview of our number 10 men's and women's teams in both instances. It happens to be the USC Trojans. Of course, yesterday, John Parsons joined me to break down our number nine women's team, the University of Virginia Cavaliers. And of course, here on today's show, we get into our number nine men's team entering 2023, the University of Georgia. Of course, I mentioned I will stop doing this next week, but just so you college tennis fans know what our schedule is going to look like moving forward. Every Tuesday and Thursday, John Parsons is going to be joining me to break down two of our top 10 teams on the women's side of the equation heading into 2023. And every Wednesday and Friday, I will be joined by a returning champion as well to help me break down our men's top 10. Of course, that returning champion joins me here today to break down the number nine University of Georgia. Of course, you know him best as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions never far from the listed UTR one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames but perhaps most importantly nowadays we call him the professor it's our dear friend Chris Helioris Chris hey great shot welcome back to the show it's time I mean four college tennis podcasts in a row I feel like the season's about to begin how are you feeling five weeks out Oh, I'm feeling great, excited as ever to get the season going. You know, it's fun to get getting to do this and uh, uh, you know, re- previewing these top ten teams and 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 watching for all the news that comes in over the uh, over the month of December. Who's coming back? Who's not? Et cetera. So yeah, I'm getting I'm getting very excited for the season. I had this discussion with Jay yesterday. There's nothing I enjoy more than going through a team's schedule and looking at a result they had in 2022 and then like chuckling to myself and being like, oh yeah, we broadcasted that match or just being like, I remember the significance of that one, the podcast that followed. This really is one of my favorite months. It's a giant tease, certainly, but you can just feel we are on the precipice of so much exciting tennis. And certainly uh, our job here over the next month is to preview 
everything so that all of you college tennis fans will be ready for that tennis to begin. Of course, again, our subject here on today's show, the number nine University of Georgia. And as we always do, what Chris and I plan to do to preview this number nine team, we'll talk about their 2022 season. Did the Bulldogs overperform, underperform, or get things just right last year? Of course, based off of that, we will also talk about the strengths and weaknesses of each roster. How do we feel about the returners coming off of 2022? What new pieces have all of these top 10 teams added to help supplement whatever they're bringing back? Of course, we'll get into the strengths. We'll get into the weaknesses of each team. Do our best to project the lineup. Look at the schedule, the conference, why this team isn't higher or lower in our preseason rankings. And then, of course, we'll offer predictions for how we view all of our top 10 teams faring this season, of course. Before we get into any of that, though, Chris, as always, we like to start this show with whatever news developments may have occurred in the college tennis universe. And I think we have two pieces of news that are particularly relevant, given that this is a top 10 men's preview. And The piece of news I want to start with first is the formal announcement that Arthur Ferry, rising junior or third-year player at Stanford University, he will officially be back here in the 2023 dual match season. Now, spoiler alert, we already had Stanford in our top 10, given our rule of if you're listed on the roster, we include you in this exercise. And for whatever it's worth, Arthur Ferry, though he didn't compete In college tennis in the fall, he was listed on Stanford's roster in the fall. So in terms of our actual rankings, there is no impact. But Chris, this is a player who reached the ITA Fall Nats final last season in both singles and doubles. This is a guy who really, since he walked on campus, has been at a minimum in the top 25 conversation in terms of individual talents uh, within the college tennis universe. As such, I don't think it's overstating it to say if you have Arthur Ferry on your team, especially for this young Stanford roster, I mean, that's why they are a top 10 team, right? Because we know what Ferry brings because he may not be the guy, but he's one of the guys you look at throughout the course of this college tennis season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the the interesting thing to me here really was if you took a poll of college coaches and and sort of people, you know, coaches, assistant coaches, et cetera, folks in the know in the college tennis world at the end of last year, leading into the summer, the resounding vote would have said Ferry's not coming back. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I think everybody kind of had that on the list as he's he's probably not coming back. Uh, so this is huge for Stanford. I mean, they've obviously got a good they've got a good class in, and even I mean, if they can manage to pull it off for one more year and get him to stay with the with the crazy good class they've got coming in next year, even better. But yeah, this this was absolutely critical for them uh, to have him back. Can you name the last two Stanford players who have been ranked number one in the country? Ferry's number one. Who's the other one? Oh my gosh. So you're obviously telling me it's not Geller. It's and <laughs> Yes, I can tell you neither Axel nor Fawcett was ranked number one in the country. Shockingly, yeah. neither was Bradley Klon. There's another little hint for you. I mean, you're telling me only one ever? 
No, it, uh, I think the last two is what I oh. remember from the tweet. Oh, I okay. I say because certainly if I go back to Goldstein, yeah, Brian, Brian no, 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 Walters, no. like some combination, or McEnroe, or like and then McEnroe by yeah, exactly picking him. McEnroe was fifteen in the world when he was at Stanford. Yeah, oh. but he was actually ranked number two behind some random nineteen seventies <laughs> guy. Shout out. So yeah. the last one before that, no, I I couldn't tell you. Shout out to Victor Amaya at Michigan, who might have been ranked ahead of McEnroe at one point. The last number one prior to Arthur Ferry, again, was an NCAA champion Bradley Klon, was an NCAA champion Alexander Kim. It was NCAA champion Bob Bryan, Bob who was Bryan. the last okay. number one ranked singles player for Stanford. So again, it's a pretty decent company, right, for Ferry to be keeping. And I guess... You know what? I was going to ask you who plays one, Ferry or Bassovaretti, but spoiler alert, folks, Stanford is a part of our preseason top 10, so we'll get into that argument when we discuss their roster specifically. But I'll tell you what, just on paper, and I know uh, Samir Banerjee has struggled quite a bit over these last six months, but on principle, Ferry, Bassovaretti, Basing, who has been one of the 10 best players in the fall in college tennis, no doubt, and Banerjee, that's – I'm not saying I like that four more than any other four in the country, but I don't think I – you know, it's it's in the conversation, right? Yeah, you're basically you, – I mean, I feel like that's a mirror of a now Diallo-less Kentucky. Oh, ooh! Because they go exactly the same depth to Lapidat at four, and now it's a question of what's five and six. But yeah, I mean, two very, very similar conversations. Are you telling me when Diallo turned pro, the conversation you, me, and John Parsons had in our text is, do we put Kentucky next to Stanford because that yeah. feels about right? Is, <laughs> is that what you're telling me, Chris? Because I think that <laughs> might have been the conversation. Yeah, because I think I recall, I'm having some deja vu here. I think the conversation might have already happened in my life, but no. That's a massive, obviously, piece of news. The other one was the announcement, and I apologize to Parsa. I'll pull it up as I remember the name. Oh, here it is. Martin Borisiuk. Don't you dare try and pronounce it, Crick. Uh, Chris. Martin Borisiuk, UTR 13.13 of Belarus, has verbally committed to NC State to join them this spring. Now, the 21-year, uh, 22-year-old, excuse me, has been top 1,000 in both singles and doubles. According to Parsa, he'll have four years of eligibility. Here's my last piece of news question, and then I promise folks we'll get into number nine, Georgia. Had you known this piece of information prior to our number 10 USC episode coming out? Because in our honorable mention conversation, we said Kyle Spencer and the NC State Wolfpack were very much on the fringes of that conversation. You add Borsyuk to the mix are they a top 10 team now in your mind, Chris? Yeah. I mean, had I known that it would have put them even more on the cusp and, and they are my, you know, probably my, my favorite, you know, outside to, to make it in mm-hmm. type team. But I don't know that I probably still would have had them. I, I probably wouldn't have gotten, gotten in there. I would have had them right on the cusp with that, without that, you know, I'm in the, 13, 14-ish type range. Now, yeah, I'm going, yeah, it's maybe 11. It's, we, you know, it's always interesting to see these guys too. You can see, okay, Grady's a, a slightly better than 13 UTR, but, you know, there are 13 UTRs that are, that turn out to be 
12 threes and there are 13 UTRs that turn out to be 13 plus UTRs. You just don't know. And I'm assuming, I don't know this guy personally. I'm assuming being a 22 year old from Belarus, he probably spent some time uh, in the military because for the most part, you either have to be in school or, you know, national military to maintain that eligibility, NCAA eligibility status, uh, you know, this long. So I'm not sure. Uh, and either what kind of what kind of form shape tennis form he's in who knows so I don't know that he's going to be a contributor but it certainly I mean they'll get him ready for sure and it just adds another piece like we talked the tremendous depth on this team they don't necessarily have a standout one that you're going to go is going to battle the ones in the rest of the country but man they can battle you at any spot in the lineup and this just adds another piece to it yeah I mean What's the difference between NC State and USC? It might be Stefan yeah. Dostinic. Yeah. Like yeah, it might be as simple it. as we like Dostinic at one. They have an elite of the elite guy. All due respect to every piece on that NC State roster because you said it perfectly. I like all of the pieces. And I think you could put a dartboard up of eight of the names on the roster. Coach Spencer could just fire, you know, or Coach James could just fire darts at that board and say, okay, you're playing one today. You're playing two. You're playing three. This team is that deep. And I'll say this quickly. In an ACC where for the first time in nearly, I don't know, two decades, we like, we really don't know. Virginia's the favorite, but after that, is it North Carolina? Is it Wake? Is it Duke? Is it NC State? Is it Florida State? In a wide open ACC environment, one could argue pound for pound that NC State is deeper than the non UVA options out there, or they might even be deeper than UVA, to be honest, but they don't quite have the blue chip names at the top of their roster. Here's the point. NC State, perhaps epitomized by this 13-13 UTR, they're going to be really good everywhere. And the key is, again, no bad losses. If this NC State team can minimize the bad losses and maybe only lose to a UVA during ACC play or just be that number two ACC team, how many times, Chris, have we seen the number two ACC team work their way into a top eight seed? come yep. the NCAA tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing with, with the NC State team, right, is everybody can go, you can go look at the UTRs and say, oh, I see what their roster looks like on paper, but you have to account for the fact and the teams that stand out to me uh, gen in general, like the first two teams I think of off the top of my head from this respect, NC State and Tennessee are doubles. Always, I mean, a Kyle Spencer coach doubles team and what Tennessee always does in doubles, those school, you know, if you have a doubles team where you know you're going to take the doubles point, you know, X percentage of the time and X is a really big number, yeah. you don't have to quite be as strong as everybody else is in, say, a UTR power six because that's one out of the seven points. Well, you just said it perfectly. Coach Spencer teams, and this is a massive credit to Kyle and also a massive credit to Chris James, NC State teams always outperform their UTR. Always. And yep. like now they actually have the tools in the toolbox to be that good. Boy, am I fascinated. Not even this year, but honestly, 2024, 2025. That's what I'm most fascinated by this NC State team. And I just think Coach Spencer has them really well positioned moving forward. So that's why I wanted to mention that here at the start of the show. That said, NC State 
just outside of our top 10 this season. Who's inside that top 10? That's what all of you college tennis fans want to know, and that's what Chris Helioris and I want to preview over the course of the next month. And on today's show, we're ready to get into one of the bluest of the Blue Bloods in men's college tennis. Of course, we're referring to the University of Georgia. And look, on the bucket list of facilities I need to attend in my life as a tennis fan, obviously, as someone who has never been to a Grand Slam event, all four of those are on my list. But you know what's right up there on the short list with those four? The McGill Tennis Center, because that is, of course, what Georgia tennis has meant to men's college tennis, not just this century, but throughout the course of the program's history. That said... I don't think it's unfair, and I think Coach Diaz, Coach Hunt would be the first two probably to admit this. I don't think it's unfair to say during this pandemic era, perhaps no blue blood has underperformed to the rate that the University of Georgia, based on their program standards, which again, are standards higher than just about any program in the country. Coach Manny Diaz and the Bulldogs expect to be competing for national championships. Well, of course, in 2021, the group went 17-7 and overall, upset North Carolina to reach the quarterfinals of the NCAA tournament, and that felt like an overperformance, which speaks to, again, perhaps the downtrodden expectations for this UGA team right now. Well, when you look at their 2022 season, a season where obviously they brought in a couple of talents in uh, Tristan McCormick, of course. They also bring in Hamish Stewart, a couple of guys to accentuate what was that recurring, uh, returning core of Kreuter, Gravilius, Henning, Trent Bride. You knew who their six was throughout the course of last season. That said, you look at this team, 18-8 and overall, 9-3 and in conference play. You look for them at the National Indoors last season. They lose their first match to Georgia 4-3, uh, excuse me, to Wake Forest 4-3, go 1-2 and at the event, and then perhaps... Most significantly of all, uh, obviously they are upset as a top 16 seed in the round of 32, 4-3 by a rising Florida State team. That said, I don't think I even need to frame the question of was 2022 an underperformance, but I guess when I look more broadly, Chris, at these past two years for the University of Georgia— Are you concerned at all, or do you think this is just a blip in the radar and that the Bulldogs still remain perhaps the bluest of the blue bloods in college tennis? I don't know that I'm concerned. I think it just speaks to the, you know, the competitive nature of recruiting these days and the fact that, you know, I, you know, obviously that history of the blue bloodedness goes back a long time when it might not have been, you know, recruiting. 20 years ago is a totally different story than what recruiting is now. And, and the way things come out now, yeah, it's, it's just so much more difficult for anybody to just be there nonstop, uh, nonstop every year. So I don't think Georgia is going to have any problem getting their share uh, of recruits. And, you know, Jamie's an outstanding recruiter. Uh, it's, it's going to happen. I mean, look, they, you know, obviously we'll get into talking about the guy at the top of their lineup, the guy we expect to be at the top of their lineup um, as a recruit this year. And another one that they've got sitting waiting for next year already. Uh, 
but yeah, I no, I think it's just uh, it, it's even with what you think is a great recruiting class. Look, we've had some what we thought were outstanding recruiting classes at other schools, and they just don't pan out. You just you just never know. It's getting so much more competitive and so much harder to find with the you know the influx of over time of all the really talented foreign players. Uh, you know, yeah, it's it, it's a lot it's a lot harder now to to get there. But I'm not no, I'm not worried in the big picture about is Georgia tennis on the on the down you know on the downward slide. No, I don't think so. So I'm very glad you brought up that recruiting element because let's be abundantly clear, Coach Diaz, Coach Hunt, and not to disrespect Coach Manny Diaz, but I know I, when you talk to coaches and say who are the best recruiters right now in all of college tennis, I promise you will not get through a conversation with anyone in the know without hearing Jamie Hunt's name come up because there is no doubt Jamie has just been killing it on the recruiting circuit over these past couple of years. And to your point, that's exactly why I'm not worried about this Georgia team falling off from blue blood status. Because, yeah, the last two years, 17-7 and seven quarterfinals, by the way, 18-8, and eight, but a perennial top 10 team all season long, that might be bad by Georgia's standards, but there are all but maybe four programs in the country who would trade that tomorrow to become the University of Georgia. And when you look at whether it be redshirt freshman Ethan Quinn coming in, Alex Mickelson, who combined with Sebastian Gorsny to win the junior Wimbledon doubles title, I believe, this year. And he's had a ton of uh, futures-level success in both singles and doubles. There's another name I'm blanking on right now that's coming in for Georgia next year as well. But Coach Hunt is killing it. I think this Georgia program still very much screams blue blood. That said... Again, if we're being honest, Chris, which we try to do with our listeners, shout out to us here at Cracked Rackets. See, we haven't had a good... Is that our first shout out to us, Chris, of the 2023 season? Is that the first? <laughs> I think it is. Um, so shout out to us. I Shout out to me and for me carrying you on my back. Um, when you look at this team, I think objectively, I don't want to say they were not good last year. But they were not great last year. And I think here are the two numbers I would point to. And shout out to the University of Georgia SID. Their website, I'm sorry other schools, but the Georgia tennis website is just better than everyone else's. And you need to call their SID today if you're at another school and say, what are you doing? Who are you signed up with? Because that's what I would like to be signed up with. But when you look at this Georgia team last season, Chris, 81-54 and in individual dual match singles matches. That's just a 60% win percentage. Perhaps even more concerning, 38 and 27, a 585 win percentage in dual match doubles. This team had too much talent last season to have to skate by as frequently as they did. But honest to God, Chris, that 18-8 and eight record feels like a coup. Like, I can't point to any player on their roster and say, yeah, last season was the best season of your college career. And I actually think that might be a positive for Georgia this year. It's like, there's no way for any of these players to go but up. But that's the assessment, right, of 2022. Like, there's no doubt this team had more talent individually than we saw in the sum of its parts. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and you, I mean, epitomized by the, 
you know, uh, look, let's call it what it is, a very bad and unfortunate year for Trent Bride. Absolutely. I mean, that that was the epitome of what happened. But yet somehow, even with the year that 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 Bride had, to your point, they managed to put together an 18 and 8 record. And, uh, you know, they weren't spectacular, to your point, anywhere. I mean, you look at it like Stewart was good primarily at one. Henning was good good primarily at two but nothing outstanding from any of them they re uh, obviously bride no matter where he was uh had his struggles uh and then you know six was just a disaster no matter who was was playing there for the most part so to to be able for them to be able to get through the sec and everything else they played and go 18 and eight yeah yeah i knew i was i was prepped for your question of you know kind of was it? It definitely Wait. wasn't an. I, I'm not going to say they. Wait, no, no, no. Are you about to pivot on me, Chris? Because honest to God, I've never been more impressed by a pivot you've made in your life. Are you about to say, with how not great everyone was playing on this roster, that maybe they overperformed last year? Because honest to God, it's not a horrible argument. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't want to say that the team overachieved, but it's sort of feels like it the only reason i want to say no is that we just did you, we no one saw the trent bride thing coming right and and that sort of gets you back to okay so maybe it was like about but give but if you say given what trent bride you know what what the struggles that he had if you tell me given that you're going to have that from trent then i say yeah the team actually overachieved given that they had to they had to endure that, and we know we just knew coming in they were basically five deep, and six was gonna you know at best be a rotating spot, hoping someone stepped up. It never came to be. There was never really an answer at six. So now you have an answer at six. You have a Trent Bride with a losing record. How do you go eighteen and eight in the SEC and everything else, and and do what you did? Now you do end up losing at home in the NCAA to Florida State. Uh, so that, you know, it kind of finishes on the note that sort of summarized the season, if you will. But I think 18 and eight was outstanding given what they, you know, what they were dealt. You, you nailed it. I have nothing more to add to that case in point. The fact that it was bride who won the first set seven, five, but then loses seven, five, uh, five, seven, six, four, seven, five to Arcilla in what I believe was the clinching match against Florida state in the NCAAs. And, yeah, I mean, so with that in mind, obviously we can turn our attention towards 2023. Who do they bring back on this roster? And again, there are some Georgia fans who right now are screaming at you saying they were a player short last year and saying, well, why didn't you just unredshirt Ethan Quinn and have him come in at number six? And we can get into that in a little bit later. Um, but certainly when you look at this team, I think maybe the thing – I find most impressive as I look at this group, at least heading into 2022-2023, is how many of the guys come back. And it's just like, yeah, Bride was 10-15 and 15 last year in individual singles dual match play, 5-10 and 10 at the number four spot, which just, if you watch the first three years of Trent Bride, you are scratching your head and saying, yeah. there's no way he's going to be anything but better, right, this year. Um like, I think that's low-hanging fruit number one, right? It's, it's just like, there's no way we get this from Bride again. Because the forehand was just a disaster. Yeah, I well, oh, 
I, I want to believe that. At the same time, we saw Johannes Ingelson play number one. We saw <laughs> Johannes Ingelson then out of the lineup at sure. Florida. Right. I mean, things like that happen. I, I hope that's not the case. And I hope that, that that turns around. But yeah, you're right. He was he was the number one guy for Georgia. He goes five, you know, like you said, he goes five and ten playing number four. It's that that yeah, they but they do, like you said, outside of out of the the one and done transfers they got in Stewart and McCormick, everybody else is is back. Add Ethan Quinn. Add transfer Teddy Juska from Clemson. It, it's a solid team, and I'll say this: you you brought up the point of hey, why didn't you just unredshirt Ethan Quinn last year? I I believe we're going to be midway through the season this year, and all the real Georgia fans are going to be going, why the heck couldn't you get Alex Mickelson to come in January <laughs> this year? Because they're gonna they're gonna be in that same boat where they're gonna be a really really good team that's one guy short, and to that point, the guy you were thinking of early, Ignacio, and I don't know how you say his last name, Boos Busse. That's yeah. the other recruit they've got next year. Um, but yeah, between those two guys, but if you could get Mickelson in as a January guy instead of a fall of uh, you know an August guy, that would totally change the. I mean, that would put them in with a with a performing bride put them in like national championship conversations well i want to go through the rest of the roster before we get back to are they a guy short or not and by the way i because I, I do think that's a a fascinating conversation but you know bride comes back and let's say again here's the crazy thing to say out loud if trent bride goes 500 at the number four spot this year he will be better than he was for Georgia last season, Chris. That is such low-hanging fruit. So I haven't sworn at you, I don't think, yet this season. Shut the f- up. They're going to be fine. They're not a player short. We're not, again, for what it's worth. Does, does uh, he play for? Well, so that's a great question. What I was going to say is this pod today is sponsored by our dear friends Johnny Walker. So I apologize if I start to get mad at Chris as we go along because he cajoled me into whisking up with him for today's show. Yeah, um, yeah I'm blaming you, by the way, for the whiskey I have, I have too many partners to mention. Yeah. So. If, as if I didn't walk out here and say, look what I'm doing today, Chris, uh, just for you. Um, and sh- don't you dare share the rest of that story. You shut your <laughs> mouth right now. See, I said I was going to swear at you again. <laughs> um, anyways, apologies, Georgia fans. We're going to center back in here. 500 is low-hanging fruit for improvement for Trent Bride. But here's the big thing, because I do want to look at the rest of the roster. Blake Croyder last year was quietly really, really good at the yeah. number five spot. And he goes 12-4 and four at that number five spot, 15-5 and five overall. Now, for what it's worth, Kreuter here in the fall, 9-4 and four overall in his four match, uh, in his, excuse me, 13 matches. You look at some of the players he was able to, or even you look at some of the losses, 6-2 in the third to Chris Rodash. I don't think we any of us would consider that a bad loss. 7-5 in the third to Michael Zhang of Columbia. Again, Zhang's a top 10 player right now in the country. If Kreuter's playing five and he's going three sets with Zhang, you feel really good about that result. I really like Kreuter coming back. Obviously, you look at Phil Henning, 15-8 and eight last year, 12-6 and six at two, but he makes an ITA All-American final this year, and you feel like he's going to be no higher than two in the lineup again, of course. 
you know, yes, they were 7-12 and 12 last year at the number six spot, but, you know, Perez Pena did get some matches under his belt. And, you know, Thomas Pulsell did get some matches at least under his belt last year. Before we address any of the new additions, who will obviously be critical to this 2023 team, that core, Bride, Kreuter, Henning, and all the other pieces combined as one, it's a pretty good core to bring back. Oh, yeah. No, there's no arguments there. Like, it's not, I guess, here, let me frame it like this. You're not stocked down on any of these players. Because you can't be further stocked down on Trent Pride. If you're stocked down further on Trent Pride, then, like, congratulations. We have an FTX moment here in college tennis where it was a billion-dollar boonswoggle of a fraud, like, those first three years. Like, I just don't think that's the case. Gruskin's going to start tweeting hashtag SBF after his Georgia tweet. Uh, yeah, no, I, you're right. I mean, no, you can't, how much like Trent Bride could go out and go five and 10 at four left-handed. You feel like, I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, it, 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 you're, he, I don't think that situation to your point, uh, you know, has anywhere to go. Uh, but, uh, I do question. Yeah. Where, that that's to me, that's the big question. Where does he go in the lineup? Henning, I, there's no question he's playing too. I mean, yeah. you say no higher. It's no higher and no lower. He's playing two. I mean, <laughs> sure. that's that's his spot. Uh, you know, Ethan Quinn's one. He's two. Now you get the questions. You've got Kreuter. You've got Teddy Juska. You've got Trent Bride. Those guys are three, four, five in some order. What What's the order? Uh, and if you get the luxury of playing Trent Bride at five, I mean – yeah, he's just got to find some of his form, and he's going to be great. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's certainly going to be a he, he's going to be better than five hundred there. So yeah, and then and then to your point, now we're now we're down to six, and back to the same conversations we were having last year. Is it Pena? Is it Johnston? Is it Paulsel? Who you know, week to week, who is it? Yeah, well, it's fascinating you say those names are going back at six because obviously the implication from that statement is that there are some newcomers to fill in the gaps left by the absences and graduations of uh, both Stewart and McCormick. And anyone who's followed Georgia tennis closely knows that the obvious answer to that question is we know who's going to be replacing Hamish Stewart. His name is Ethan Quinn. He was the ITA All-American champion. He won multiple futures titles, whether it be in singles or doubles over the course of of the summer. He was the 2022 Kalamazoo Boys 18s finalist. Ask Ben Shelton how losing in the finals of that match translates to college tennis the next year. And, you know, for Quinn, we've seen him play nine matches here in college tennis. For what it's worth, he's undefeated, 9-0 and in singles. He dropped one set throughout the course of those nine matches. Beat Dostinik, beat, beat everyone. Like, Ethan, do you have any doubts about Ethan? At number one, I know he's a redshirt freshman. Yes, he won the ITA All-American. Still, there's a big difference between individual tennis and dual match tennis. That said, when I watch Ethan play, the serve, the forehand, how mature he is. I mean, I don't know if you listen to our Cracked Rackets. Let me just say this, actually. Cracked Rackets fans, I can guarantee you Chris Hallioris did not listen to the Ethan Quinn conversation. But just... Singular, singularly, the single, like, for a redshirt freshman, that's the most mature under-20-year-old person 
I love you, Ben Shelton. You're in a different category because I call you friend now. Uh, But that's the most mature redshirt freshman I've ever ever interviewed in my life. And I really, like, I know he's a freshman. I know putting big expectations on any freshman's shoulder is a lot. I feel so good about Ethan Quinn coming into the season. I'm curious if you're the same. Yeah, so here's my take. First, he's lost three sets, not one. But Yeah, I realized as I went through, like, I was like, he lost <laughs> one at, at the ITA All-American to Cornet Chauvin. He might have lost yeah. two others. Yeah, he lost one to Spaziri and one to a Georgia State kid as well. Oh, but, no, uh, he lost a set to Elliot Spaziri, who he eliminated in the All-American semifinals. Like, that was a straight-up, that's the only time I've ever seen Spaziri beaten down over the past two years, but go on. Yeah, but uh, no, my, you know, my take in thinking about, you know, d- during the day, thinking about the fact that we were doing this pod, actually, my biggest take was we talk about a lot of these schools and what separates them, like what makes us, you know, what makes somebody number nine or 10 versus the schools that are four or five, for example. And in some cases, it's just pure talent and what's on the roster. In other cases, we always seem to talk about, well, it's there's it's the fact that there's too many unknowns, so to speak. And when I look at the Georgia roster, it's funny. My take is the one person that I feel the most confident and known about <laughs> is Ethan Quinn. He's never played a college, you know, dual match in his life. But I feel like I am I'm more confident about what he's gonna do. He, you know, we know. This kid is not going to be a flash in the pan and, oh, yeah, he looked really great in the fall. And no, you know, he's been doing it in pro events. He did it all fall in the All-Americans. He's beaten everybody. We know what we're getting there. It's more known than what we're going to get out of Trent Bride. If you say, what are you going to get out of Trent Bride and what are you going to get out of Ethan Quinn? There are far more uncertainties on what you're going to get out of Trent Bride right now. Yeah, I I think that's a really good argument to make. And I mean, again, it's not just that Quinn won the All-American. It's that he had the future success as well. And, you know, you watch him play. I say it's Jack Sock-esque. Maybe not as live of an arm, but the huge serve, the huge forehand, the instinct to move forward. He actually can swing through the backhand. Just how easy things seem to be for Ethan Quinn, for him to assert himself. Obviously, he got the big win in the All-American final over his teammate, Phil Henning, who perhaps more than any college tennis player this year, epitomizes like the physicality of the highest levels of college tennis and that ability to just force you to earn it to the highest extent. And yeah, I mean, I have no questions about Ethan Quinn. I'm all in. Like, here are the chips. I'm pushing them in, folks. You can't see that right now. Chris sees me on our Zoom metaphorically pushing them in. I have no doubt about Quinn. Do you have any doubts about Yuska? And where he's going to play in the lineup, because for those listeners that don't know, Tidor Yuska coming over from Clemson here this season for what it's worth. Last year, 19-6 and six in singles dual match play, 15-11 and 11 in doubles. And the key thing is he played primarily at the number one and two spots in both singles and doubles. That's been the case for him for the past couple of seasons. Is there a world? How high do you think Yuska gets up the lineup? Like I said, I think those guys are battling for three, four, five. I don't see any world where he plays three. Um, honestly, I think three is, and, and I and I really don't think that they're going to play Trent Bride at, at three, but they could. I kind of think that it's Croyder three. With how well he played last year. The question is, does he have the weapons? 
Yeah, and then yeah, I don't know that he's got the weapons, but That's I don't know. At three, you don't have to have the weapons. I mean, just being dead solid like he is is good is going to be is going to be good uh, at three. And then I think the question comes down to, you know, for me, four five. You know, we could be dead wrong, right? This is like my Boyton at five call. So. Uh, <laughs> Coach Woodson, who probably won't listen to this, or, not about them. But you, you know. you know, I took a huge victory lap, but it's been six months. I haven't brought it up to you since. Are you going to send me flowers for the Barbotzer take, like as an apology? <laughs> like I, I'm still waiting for something from you, Chris. <laughs> oh man, I, don't know, I, just, I, I can't because I have to see it again this year. I yeah. <laughs> You're going to come out and be like, no, man, I think Botzer plays two or three this yeah, year. Yeah. It's like, what, what, wait a second. When yeah, I'm think... 78 and Botzer's a 54-year-old third-year senior, I mean. Hey, some yeah. scholars have argued we haven't had enough time to see if 30-year-olds can win at the NCAA tournament. So it's time yeah. to put that, that question to the test. For the yeah. record, I want to be clear, listeners, I would say all of these things to Barr's face. So don't yeah. think that my friend Johnny Walker and my friend Chris Hallioris are getting me particularly loose here today. These are all jokes you will be familiar with here at Crack Directs. You know what it really is, Chris, and it's tangent time here? It's that I went on John Parsons' No Ad, No Problem podcast, which, again, betting. Some scholars have argued you haven't listened to a single second of. Um, and he asked me, like— a good argument. You, yeah, thank you. The scholars know. <laughs> He's like, "Do you? How have you changed as a podcaster from f- from five years ago? What would twenty twenty or what would twenty eighteen Alex think about twenty twenty two Alex?" And I was like, "Jay, have you been listening to my internal monologue?" I was like, "How do you know to ask me this?" Qu-? I was like, "Fantastic question." I get mad at myself all of the time because I'm afraid I'm not as candid as I once was. That Barbotzer joke is straight up compensation for me just trying to be candid and trying to get back to my 2018 self. But I guess in that spirit, I think you're just wrong about Huska. Like, if I ask you coming into this year, Theodore, Trent, Blake, who do you feel strongest about? I think Theodore has to be one. I think... Like, if you can get away with playing Kreuter at five again, don't you have to do it if you're Manny Diaz, Chris? I've learned, you know, again, from a lineup perspective, if you feel like Bride's Nader was last year, it's never going to get lower than it was then, and he can bounce back at that number four spot. Meanwhile, Kreuter has only gotten better. You feel like, what was his record last year at number five? 12 and four can maybe become 15 and one. Like, versus last year when they went 14 and eight, at the number three spot. Don't you think Huska can do 14 and eight at number three? Interesting. He's pausing. I don't know. I mean, it's a, it maybe it's a tough call for me. I, I, I honestly feel better about Kreuter. Uh, really? I mean, yeah. When and, I look and, at their falls for what it's worth, Huska eight and five. And I'm just curious, what was his best win during the fall? He beat Keshav Chopra of Georgia tech beat Peter Mock in three sets. That was uh, Patrick Zaraj. Those are really his best. You're going to have a tough time beating Kreuter's regional run. Yeah, Kreuter beat Harper. He beat Wistrade. He beat Hernandez from uh, Quinnipiac. No, no, where did he beat Hernandez from? I forget where Hernandez. Well, he beat Antoine from Florida State. Yeah, that's true. Fair enough. Go on. And then. And then he beat, and then he beats Yusef from Florida State. That's another good win. Beats ex-teammate Gravilius. Beats the freshman from Florida. 
you know, just That's a fair. good, a good, good. He run. had a really good fall. You're right. In, in yeah. So now, if you had asked me before, yeah, I before that, you know, in the off season, yeah, that might have been a toss up. I still would have. There's no way I'm putting, you know, after the after what happened last year. There's no way I'm putting Trent in the first spot of the three. I would have been tough. It would have been a tough call between the two. But after seeing Kreuter's fall and what he did at regionals, uh, I, I've got to I've got to stick with with Kreuter right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. So, I mean, again, when we look at this team, it feels like we know five of the guys: Quinn, Henning, Kreuter, Huska, Bride. Those are five. When you look at number six, and obviously there are a bunch of options there, I'm curious because we've talked about this team's sh- – well, I guess when you break it down, strengths and weaknesses, that you know the first five. Do you view their first five as a strength? Yeah, I mean, I, it's, you know, those those top five are really, really good, especially if you've got a decent form – of Trent bride, they're going to be, you know, you look at them and I will look at them across the sec conference and probably outside of, I'll say Kentucky, they're probably, you know, that's probably the second best top five. Mm -hmm. And, and now a Diallo Kentucky, it it becomes a question. Um, You think that five is as good as any other. So, that is a statement, Chris. You can't just slide that into minute number 45 of this show. So you I think mean, their five, when you're looking at their strengths, you're saying that top five is as good as any top five in the country. Uh, the reason I bring that up is that the implication of that is you have a lot of questions about their doubles, which for the record, they went 15 and 22 in during the fall, and that you have a lot of questions about that number six spot as well. And I guess my question is, if you think – and let's be clear. We have them number nine in our preseason rankings. How many college tennis teams are there north of 100 that we have them number nine? Obviously, we both feel pretty high about this team. But if you're saying you like their first five as as much as anyone, that would seem to imply that nine is too low for this team to be in. So I guess my question to that is, what are the weaknesses then? Well, yeah, so the, the, the problems are – Six is a complete disaster. Uh, I mean, I just don't, someone's got to step up this year. We, if we end up in the same boat that we did last year, where it's basically, you know, I don't know, maybe, I don't know what they played two thirds of the time, Pena. Well, and just a third, for the record, the time, Paulson, maybe the three guys who you'd consider for the number six spot, Britton Johnston, Thomas Paulson, Miguel Perez Pena, who I actually think is probably in the pole position MPP for that number six spot combined here in the fall. They went 17 and 15 in singles matches. I don't think it's a disaster, but it's definitely something to be concerned about. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope, I hope it's not a disaster because obviously I'm always pulling for the SEC teams, but what, I mean, what, what was the record? I know they had a losing record at six last year. I don't know what it was. Uh, it wasn't great. You look for them overall seven and 12, which by the way, though, for the record, 17 and 15 is better than seven and 12. So that's why I'm not as concerned, I think, as you is it's like a year later, there's no way their six is as bad as last year, right? Well, that and that's the question, honestly. And that and that's yeah. why sure. okay. that's why they're there is 
assuming that the, you, you have to assume the incumbent is Pena for that six spot. If he's the six spot and he went whatever, four and seven or whatever he was at, at, at six last year, can he be better than, can he be better than that? Or, and I've seen, I mean, if I look at Paulson's fall, I don't think I, you know, makes me think even more, he's not the guy, Pena's the guy. Uh, so, so if Pena's the guy, he's got to do better. And I'll be honest, when I watched him and I made the point, I watched the indoor match at NC State. He looked, he looked great to me. I don't know why he couldn't win. It comes down to, you know, a couple key points here or there. And yeah, maybe a, a, another year, a little experience, a little maturity, and he t- and he can turn that around. But he's got to turn it around. That on top of the unknown factor, if you will, of what do we get out of Trent Bride? That's what's got him there. But I think you know, if you get a if you get Trent Bride at what Trent Bride was the year before, yeah, with the top with the other four guys that you kind of you got a pretty good feeling about what those other four guys can deliver. Uh, even even with a mediocre Pena, that's good. But if you get the Trent Bride from last year plus a mediocre Pena, that's, that's hard to overcome against good teams. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're recording this podcast, or it will be released, excuse me, Friday, December 9th. As such, we still have 22 days for this to happen. And this is, by the way, again, compensation. I'm trying to find 2018, Alex, somewhere in the recesses of my body, Chris. You're a Georgia fan. Let's just say we know Georgia tennis doesn't struggle for cash. How much are are you texting your fellow fans and saying we need an NIL slush fund to get Mickelson here in January ASAP? What's that number got to be for Mickelson to come? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not sure of the Georgia state laws. You know, they those vary state by state as to whether True. coaches can get involved or not. Um, so I don't know if that's allowed in Georgia. If it is allowed in Georgia. I'm absolutely uh, seeing what what we could do. But yeah, well, and who knows eligibility-wise if it's possible. I would love to know the answers to those questions. See, Gruskin, this is your full-time job. You need to get Mickelson <laughs> on the show and go, hey, if they really, really wanted to, if you really, really wanted to, could you actually go play in January? Uh, I have no idea if he's got, you know, if he's out of high school yet or not. Well, it'd uh, be fascinating just because Mickelson, you feel like if you add him, then this team's unequivocally top five. Well, that that was my point kind of starting off. Yeah, if they could somehow, I feel like we're going to get midway through the season and feel like we're having the same conversation this year <laughs> that we had last year about Ethan Quinn, yeah. where we're going to say, we're going to be halfway through this year going, golly, if you had Alex Mickelson, this, you know, you'd be in the in the national title conversation. Um, I, I just, I because I honestly, I don't see this, I, I don't see a team with just an unknown at six, unless Trent Bride turns out to be the former Trent Bride, I don't see being able to just give up six like they are. Well, even in that stand, you just can't have any questions in this era of college tennis because we have talked about it so frequently with five years of high school graduates in this college tennis 
era, the best teams don't have a weakness. The best teams have a guy at number six who has been 500 or better in throughout the course of his career at some point. And with all due respect to Miguel Perez-Pena, who again, four and seven last year at the number six spot, Polsel was three and two. Um, Johnson didn't play any matches in the dual match season for what it's worth. That is a bigger question mark than we have for any of the eight. Well, We'll get into that debate, I suppose. Even like, so let me ask you this, because hypothetically we might be talking about this team perhaps even as soon as next Wednesday. <laughs> Miguel Perez-Pena or J.J. Mercer? Who do you have more questions about? Uh, well, I think it's a flawed question because J.J. Mercer is not playing six for that. <laughs> You're back. Oh, well, I missed you. Let me say this. Well, I- I'm going to recant that. Before the Diallo turning pro, J.J. Mercer was not playing six for that team. I think Cosnitz played what was there. Now, you know, now you have the five-six debate at yeah. Kentucky. And so, yes, J.J. Mercer probably is back to the sixth spot for Kentucky. But, yeah, um, yeah, no, I, I would actually take Pena in that argument. Really? Yeah. Interesting. You know what? We don't have to have that argument now. We're going to have it at plenty of times January through May. But that's, <laughs> yeah. that's fascinating to hear still. It's definitely an unknown for this Georgia team. And that fact that you have an unknown win, again, just to use a hypothetical because I know this team best, Michigan can play six guys tomorrow that you have no questions about. That Styler, Fenty, Maloney, uh, Bickersteth, Aaron Schneider, Gavin Young. We know all six of them, what they've done. You feel good about all six of them. Like, you can throw darts at the dartboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you got a seven in Bjorn Swenson who you'd still put in front of him. Exactly. Where it's just like, that's the unknown. The unknown is a supplemental piece that takes you from great to exceptional. This Georgia team, we're not looking at Ethan Quinn as the piece that takes them from great to exceptional. We're looking at Ethan Quinn as a fundamental must contribute, must be that good at the number one spot for Georgia to even meet these preseason expectations. That said, I think we've kind of alluded to it, so we'll do this really quickly. You just tell me yes or no. One, Quinn. Absolutely. Two, Henning. Absolutely. You've indicated you think three is Kreuter. I think three is Huska to start the year. Yeah, I mean, I, either way. Uh, yeah, I just I don't think it's Bride. So yeah, so yeah, For I think it's the one other of guy, two. Huska or Kreuter. That's the question. Are you really yeah. going to drop Trent Bride to five? Uh, mm-hmm. I would actually. So yeah. th- if it's if it was me, I I don't know what Manny's going to do, M- Manny and Jamie. But yeah, if it's me, I do. I play I play Blake and Teddy at three and four, and I play and I play Trent Bride at five. Let me tell you this: from what I know of Trent Bride, he's one of the few humans in the world who can go from blue chip All American freshman to playing five and being okay with it and not being a diva yep. on the team moving forward. So I agree with you. That would be my projection as well. And again. That's what you ask of your seniors, to be a leader. If Bride has to be down at that number five spot, that is some serious mental fortitude. And then guess what? What happens if Bride rips off like a 20-2 and two season at number five? <laughs> then all of a sudden we have to be like, wait, wait, wait. What were we saying at the start of the year that he had issues with his forehand? That's not the case anymore. But then six comes the question. You, you seem to be leaning Pena. Yeah, I, I don't see. I mean, I would have leaned him coming in and hoped that someone would step up. 
Uh, I mean, neither Johnston nor Paulsel has done anything worthy of taking the spot away in the fall. So I think it it's painous to lose. I'm going to go Jamie Hunt plays six ten the year. I just feel like that's a good spot for no. Um, yeah. That's a good. I was going to say I picked Mickelson that they're going to be like, you know what, Alex? Come on. Like, just just ignore. Anything I mean, you know, it, as who knows how likely or unlikely it is. I have absolutely zero knowledge. But how great would it be if sometime between now and the end of the year, we see some parsa bomb that says George has got a January commit. I mean, that's that the, that's would be a, the perfect world. In the top five power rankings of potential December surprises, that would be one of the most impactful. Because if you bring yeah. Mickelson on this roster, now they're in the inner circle of yep. national title contenders. And look, if nothing else, is it quite Brett Macy levels of drop a sound effect, share your love for Jamie Hunt, Manny Diaz, you know, profoundly here on the show as we did for Brett last uh, when previewing number 10 about the schedule? No, it's not quite that extent. But, Chris, listen to these non-conference matchups. At Florida State, first dual match of the year. They beat you in the NCAA round of 32 last year. Shout out to Manny. Shout out to Dwayne Holquist for being like, let's do it. Let's roll the balls out and see what we have emotionally to start the year. Love that. Love at Texas. Sunday, January 22nd. That's a very good, obviously, match. You've got for kickoff weekend for the University of Georgia for what it's worth. They are hosting Louisville, Miami of Florida, and LSU, all top 35 teams to end last season. Certainly not an easy kickoff weekend, but maybe not the toughest. That said, after that, Stanford, USC, Back-to-back, they're playing the Pac-12 SEC Challenge. That's going to be a ton of fun. They're going to play Illinois in Chicago prior to the indoors. They've got Georgia Tech on the schedule as well. And then, obviously, they've got the full SEC season. So, Chris, I ask you, when you look at this schedule, when you look at this conference, what do you see for these Georgia Bulldogs in 2023? Yeah, it's a, I mean, obviously, you know what you're getting out of the SEC schedule. But to, but to your point, yeah, to go play – Florida State, the team that knocked you out, Texas, Stanford, and USC, and you know maybe uh, I'll real you know who knows we'll we'll see what we get from Illinois, but that but given the fact that it's at Illinois, it's going to be dangerous no matter what. That's a great non-conference schedule. Yeah, I agree. Not quite the level of that USC schedule, but really, really good. Certainly, no. I mean, there's not there's not a cupcake in there, right? You look at that non-conference schedule, you don't see, you know, there's no, there's, there's not the Georgia state, Georgia Southern, Kennesaw state, whatever kind of in the area that you might see in that preseason schedule. There's none of it. I mean, they just, they roll straight in, uh, in, into big competition. So it's a, it's a good schedule. And again, something you do with a team of veterans that there's you know Hmm. they don't have a bunch of new guys that don't know what college tennis is about we talked about this last uh, on the last pod with with usc you got a bunch of experienced guys you want to get really good matches in against quality teams and that's what they've done yeah really well said and again they may be a guy short 
to start the season, but we'll get to see against Texas who delivers the goods. Against Florida State, does anyone deliver the good? Kickoff weekend, Stanford, USC. We will know by the time of the national indoors who the six should be at that national indoors for the University of Georgia. And then again, you get an SEC schedule. Like at Auburn on March 4th, that's not an easy match. A&M coming to McGill March 9th, that's not an easy match. Now, obviously, the big ones, they're at Florida this year, at South Carolina. I think if they're going to get tripped up at Arkansas April 2nd. we just Arkansas is now in my head as the team that's just going to pull off the upset every year and beat the one top 10 team you don't expect to happen in Fayetteville at some point of the calendar. But, like, here's the other thing, though, Chris. A&M is coming to McGill. Tennessee is coming to McGill. They have to go to Florida, but they end the weekend with both Mississippis in McGill, Kentucky coming to McGill. Like, if I were to say, which SEC teams do I really want to play at home this year? It would be A&M, Tennessee, and Kentucky. And they get all three at home. And so for what it's worth, it does feel like the opportunity to maybe capture another SEC title, be that number one seed come the SEC tournament, it's going to be there for these Georgia Bulldogs. And I'm curious how you view them in the SEC conference. Yeah, I think I, the other team that I would I would throw in that mix is South Carolina, but sure. which who they, who they do play on They're the road. They're at Columbia. That's probably their hardest road match of the season, other yeah, than and at Texas. And that's always a brutal, I mean, most of the SEC schools, that travel weekend oh. ends up, especially the ones further, you know, it's hard to get much further west than, sure. than those schools. But those schools west usually do the South Carolina, Florida trip, and that's what they're doing. They've got South Carolina on a Friday, Florida on a Sunday uh, on the road. That's that's a rough trip. Obviously, Florida this year a little easier than it was last year, but still no, no gimme. Uh, but yeah, I... Noah, they do definitely have a very beneficial schedule in terms of getting, uh, you know, Kentucky and Tennessee. Absolutely, in in my mind, you know, the other two top contenders, without a doubt, in in the SEC to get both of those teams at home, that that's a big plus. Uh, and I think, I think, I'll say that I think it is a a preseason to me. It's a three-way, it's a three-way argument for that for that title. Um, we talked about this on the on the before we got into USC on the last pod because it was news that Diallo had had formally announced that he's gone pro. So now that Kentucky has no Diallo, uh, you know we had them as the unequivocal favorite going in. Now now not so unequivocal. Now we have Kentucky, Tennessee, and Georgia in my mind, and then. You know, really, really closely behind, if you will, uh, I will say, are some some other teams like uh, like South Carolina, like an A and M. But I just, I think South Carolina, I think would need Rodriguez back for me to say they're in that hunt. Uh, and I just, I don't know that that's happening. I, I don't know one way or the other if he's back. Uh, as of now, I don't think he, I don't think he is. Um, but but that would be the that would be the pecking order to me. And I would kind of slate, you know, just like we've got in the rankings, you know, spoiler, I'm not we won't we're not going to tell you where they are. But, yeah, we're still going to review Kentucky and Tennessee. So we've got them up ahead. 
I would say Georgia's sitting in that in that three spot preseason in the SEC. And it's not the worst spot to be. You know, again, how many years? I wish I had the stats in front of me, but have there been at least two top eight SEC teams where they're hosting, you know, uh, at least something significant? And, you know, again, if you are a top four team in the SEC, you're going to be a top 16 seed come the NCAA tournament. Obviously, for this Georgia team, the difference between finishing third and second might be the difference between hosting that round of 16 match and not hosting that round of 16 match. That said, you know, again, one of the questions we have on our outline is why isn't this team higher? I think we've addressed that pretty clearly. It's the vulnerability they have at that number six spot. So with that in mind, Chris, before we wrap today's show, I ask you and we go through. I like to go through a list of team specific predictions because the more we get involved and it's our third year of doing preseason. You want to hear something crazy, Chris? Like, are, are, are you paused? Are you are you? Hold on. Put your drink down. I'm put sitting. It, it. I don't have a drink in my hand. Yeah, okay, good, good, good. <laughs> Do you know this is our fifth year of podcasting together? That's unbelievable. I yeah. still remember the, hey, how come I've never been on your show, Grossman? <laughs> <laughs> and the fact I remember the very first show we did together, I was working a different job at the time. I was sitting in the parking lot. It was me, you, Westoff was recording it all, podcasting. Our first pod, I was in an, in a car from start <laughs> to finish. So, like... Yeah, it's been a fast five years. I also continue to say this, and we were joking about it before. Over the fast fi- last five years, if you're asking me who is the best friend you made, like, there's no doubt it's you. Like, I, I'm, like, devastated to say that, but it's like, no, like, if you were asking me right now, you have a bachelor party, Alex. Does Chris Halioris get the invite? Like, it's an unequivocal yes. It's just like I would be so happy to have Chris there because I know how good he is at interacting with people my age. And, like, he would just thrive. And so, again. Yeah, you forgot that, you forgot that it was followed up by not only is he there, he gets the bill. Yeah. <laughs> Leave that in, Westoff. A thousand percent leave that in. Yeah. (laughs) Friday night dinner, that's going on your credit card, my dear (laughs) friend. That's amazing. Uh, I love you. I'm really glad we're back. All right. With all of that in mind, again, let's go through the Georgia predictions. I mentioned that kickoff weekend. Uh, Louisville, Miami, LSU. Do they get through? Yeah, they get through. I think, I mean, LSU, obviously, a lot of turnover there. I don't anticipate uh, a huge... Uh, a huge struggle in the LSU match. I would expect. Uh, I I my I don't see I don't see Miami. Uh, I mean I don't I don't see be a Miami either. So, uh, yeah, I mean they they for sure make it. I mean should make it through. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree with you there. Um, quarterfinals, national indoors. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's that do you that first match at it, you know, a lot of that's about I mean, it's I think it's very possible because I, you know, I think they who knows how close our rankings yeah. are going to be right to the to the actual rankings. It it's honestly it's really tough for the teams that are outside the t- you know, if you're like 11 to 16, it's pretty tough. Uh, you know, if you're a even if you're the 10, there's no obviously home court advantage here. So a 10-7, you're both on a neutral court. Who cares? 
Uh, the 10, 7, 8, 9s, those are pretty good. It starts to get a little more lopsided. Now you always have the factor of are you playing an outdoor team, you know, like the years we've had, you know, you know, a, the number two or three seed as, as an outdoor team that you just know is going to be in trouble against the 14 or 15 who's an indoor team. Um, that's possible. And Georgia's got obviously going to get, I mean, they play both and they get plenty of indoor time. So I think that's a that's a very good possibility uh at for national indoors weekend of stanford usc that sec pac-12 challenge what's georgia's record man just say one and one that's the easy I mean, answer that's the easy that's the easy <laughs> answer right yeah that's what i'm supposed to say i, that's I think, what I, you're I, think yes. I will go one and one um but yeah i yeah, one and one, and I'll say just just so that I go on the record with it, I'll say that they beat USC and lose to Stanford. That's see, this is you just get me for five years. You've just gotten me. This is why, <laughs> sadly, we have become such close friends because I'm weird and so are you. And that's why we get along so extraordinarily well. Um, all right, do they win an SEC title, conference regular season? No. Do they reach the round of 16 in the NCAA tournament? Absolutely. Do they reach the quarterfinals, final site in Orlando? I don't think so. Mm, I'm going to agree with you, and I've made it a rule. I'm saying our top eight cracked rackets preseason poll are going to be my eight quarterfinalists. You just you can't be a guy short this year. No, like, well, so I think hard. they could. And here, here's the, the, the clincher for me is going to be, and I just, and I just don't know it. They could be. They could make it to an eight. Well, they get Kentucky at home. It's like if you beat Kentucky at home, you might be the eight over them. Yeah, if you're the if you're the eight nine and you you know eight nine seven ten whatever the case may be, they could make that final site if they're if they're that high and in that spot. And for me, the the really the piece that has to that has to be clicking to do that is Trent Bride. I think they could get away being a guy short and make top eight if the top five are as outstanding as they can be, which that could be a great top five. If Trent Bride's in form, then I think they can get away with it. If Trent Bride's not in form, no. Can I give you a spicy take? I think if Trent Bride is playing number three singles come May, then this team makes the quarterfinals. I, I think if I he's don't playing disagree. five singles come May, then I completely agree with you, right? Yep. Because it's like, if you get all American Trent Bride, then you can ignore the past hour. And it's like this team – well, that's not true because you actually did a really good job of emphasizing it. It's like this team has that upside to take another – maybe not full step, but three-quarters of a step towards the national championship conversation. It's that low-hanging of fruit. It's just like was last year one of those – what the f*** happened for Trent Bride last season? Where it's just like one of those, you know what? Like T-Swift and Pitbull, shake it off, baby. Like just ignore it moving forward. By the way, shake it off a big song of my freshman year of college. That's how I'm embracing freshman year Trent Bride. Where it's just like, shake it off. Shake it off. Like heartbreaker's going to break, 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 Chris. But the bakers, they're going to bake, bake, bake. And Trent Bride in 2023, he just wants to shake, shake, shake. Shake it off. Shake it off. And so that right there, Chris, pure Johnny Walker influence. I just want to say 100%. <laughs> but all right. 
With all that in mind, I agree. I think for UGA, round of 16 feels like the prudent prediction. With that said, before we wrap, your SEC correspondent. So the final word goes to you. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, I don't disagree. I think, I think it's a, I think it's a round of 16 quarterfinal if, if we, if we have Trent Bride, and, uh, you know, and possibly, and with a really, really good Trent Bride, it could be better. There's a lot of upside to this team, but boy, if they just had a, if they had a, if they had a known solid six, yeah, it'd be a totally different story. Can you name three Taylor Swift songs? Can I name three Taylor Swift songs? You know, I don't think I can. Shake it off's like the one that comes to head. Off the off the top of my head, I'm going, man, like the album Twenty Two or whatever. <laughs> I don't know about you. I'm yeah, feeling Twenty Two. You're right. Put that on the list. I don't know the name <laughs> of that song either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah what I, I could think of, uh, I could, I can. Hear them in my head. Can I name them by by name? Yeah, probably not. And that's what people say. Ooh, that's what people say. Ooh, I'm not going to get into it. But again, that was like freshman year strike zone of songs for me. Freshman year of college, I want to say, for the record, because I'm not that old. Um, All right. With all that said, <laughs> that's your look at the number nine oh. University of Georgia. Of course, Fresh, a I'm shout sure. out. Freshman year always. college, Taylor Swift. What is that? Is that that's wow? That's old. Oh man. wait, was Timber Taylor Swift or someone else? No, that was someone else. That that's was maybe that's I'm Pitbull think, and someone. I'm thinking that's like the uh, oh, what was it? oh the Tim McGraw song. Yeah, the bigger they are, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Dolly. And that's that like that Pitbull song. Let me tell you, every tailgate of my freshman season, you knew it was like, oh, it's 11 o'clock and they need to make sure people are still awake. OK, it's time for Timber. Um, and so you knew it was coming. Um, anyways, with all that said, that's your look at the number nine University of Georgia. Of course, number 10 on our list, USC, number nine, Georgia, who are eight through number one. Tune in every Wednesday through Friday to find out it'll be myself, Chris Halioris, breaking down all of the men's teams. Of course, on the women's side, it'll be myself, John Parsons, offering you podcasts every Tuesday and Thursday. Of course, a shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of any job he does day in, day out, making all of our podcasts possible. With that said, obviously, we are very excited for the next month of previewing everything that we expect to unfold in the 2023 college tennis season. If you'd like to hear from some of these team coaches, head on over to our Cracked Interviews podcast where we have you covered. With all of that said, for my fantastic co-host Chris Halioris, our super producer Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host Alex Gruskin. Number nine in our Division One men's preseason power rankings is the University of Georgia. Who's number eight? You will find out next week. But for now, Chris Halioris, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thank you as always, my friend. Thank you.